If there is a Bible story that we are familiar with, it's probably probably one of a few things. So if you didn't know any other stories in the Bible, you probably know these. So you know the 23rd Psalm. Um, you know the Lord's Prayer. Those aren't really Bible stories. But there's two that I think of, and you can correct me if you say that I'm wrong. But I would say that the two that everybody knows, no matter what, you may not know anything else, David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den. And so it's funny, being able to look at Daniel and the lion's den together in Daniel 6, I want to take it from a little bit different of an angle than we normally would do. So yes, there's this trial that he goes for, and, and we, we get all that, and he goes to the lion's den. But I really want to focus today on something that you may or may not have noticed before when you've looked at this text. If it's the first time you've ever looked at that, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Um, I'd actually love if you just let us know. We'd love to get you a Bible. If you're like, this is, I am totally unfamiliar, that's terrific. Thanks so much for joining with us, and we're so excited about that. We want to get you a Bible. We want to pray for you. We want to talk to you. Um, but if this is a review, that's okay. And I want to really look at the stone, because something that really jumps out to me in this text is the fact that when Daniel is put in the lion's den, yes, there are lions. Yes, there's a king. Yes, there's a night he has to spend, but there's a stone. He's put in basically a cave in this den, and a stone is rolled over there, and now suddenly he believes that there is something permanent. He looks at this and says, basically, okay, I'm now in here. No one's going to be able to let me out because one person couldn't just, like, come and rescue me, that one person couldn't just push a stone out of the way and save me. I can't do it. You know, I... I it, it's funny, if we were in, we often think like, what would it be like to be in ancient times? If I was in ancient times, I don't know about you, but I probably would have, if I was Daniel, the first thing I would have done in that den, I would have gone up to that stone and I would have just made sure that I didn't suddenly have superhuman strength, just want to make sure. Now he didn't. But the stone seemed permanent. And what I love about this is that stone can be used for so many things in our lives. We tend to focus on problems that trap us. We tend to focus on the stone and fail to see anything else. When we go through trying times, we tend to not look at what we can do in the moment. We tend to not look at, hey, can I pray to God? Hey, can I hope that he's going to intercede on my behalf? Hey, can I look at my part in this? Now, for Daniel, his part in this was that he did the right thing. And sometimes when we do the right thing, we still end up here in the lion's den with the stone. But when we go through difficult times, we tend to just focus on the stone and we assume that it is permanence. We assume that it just, oh, this is the end. And so it leads us to asking some of the wrong questions. There's a lot of wrong questions we can ask in life. And I just want to think of one for a moment. One of the wrong questions, and I want to suggest a better question we can ask, when we go through times where we deal with this large stone and it seems like our circumstances and our situations have trapped us, the wrong question we can ask is, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, you might say, well, that's a very common question, David. That's the idea of theodicy. That's a very important question. Okay, thank you, my, my theologians and my scholars. See you, love you. You guys are great. Terrific. But the challenge of asking that question is, we, we really miss it. We, we really misunderstand 
a lot of things. Here's a better question to ask. Who wins in the battle of good versus evil? Now, children, I have a, I have a toddler, and soon she's going to be a small child, and I know with talking to other children that children often say things like, this isn't fair. Is life fair? Oh, you have a bigger piece of cake than me. That's not fair. When children are asking things about fair, they're really pointing to this question of who wins in the battle of good versus evil. And it's not just children. Teenagers are the same way. I spend a lot of my day with teenagers. Hooray for me. Um, and it, you might too. And I will tell you, the wisdom I've learned from teenagers is during all this, during pandemics, during typical teenage years, it doesn't matter. One of the big things they say is, oh, this isn't fair. Oh, I can't believe, can you believe that this happened? It's just not fair. When we ask these questions, we're saying, who wins in the battle of good versus evil? And it's not just children and teenagers. Much of the Bible is written, much of Scripture is written to help us understand and grapple with this notion of who wins in the battle of good versus evil. You can think of the book of Lamentations. That's like one of the major deals with Lamentations. The Gospel of Mark very much deals with this. The book of Revelation. Psalm 73, let me just give you one example. This is kind of like this, this psalm right here. This is kind of like that teenager I was describing. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Basically, I looked around. I was doing the right thing. Everybody else was doing the wrong thing. It was going great for them. Come on, Mom. Can I have the keys to the car? Etc. Right? So is life fair? But the problem that we do is we focus on the stone. We focus on the things that seem permanent. In this battle of good versus evil, we focus on all the wrong things, and we get caught up, and we get fixated, and we think that the situations and circumstances we go through in right now are permanent, and they're not. We know that. And so I want to look at this in the context of Daniel. And rather than reading through the whole chapter, I'd love for you to do that separately. It's a pretty long one. I want to just kind of summarize. And I want to summarize it basically in this way. If you are familiar with the story, this will be kind of your spark notes. If you're not, again, how awesome. So excited. We want to get you a Bible. This is amazing. Thank you for joining with us. Um, and this should help kind of get you caught up. So here's the deal with Daniel, with Daniel 6. There is this guy named Daniel. Daniel gets sent in exile to this place, and now he has to live as a stranger in a strange land. Now Daniel, unlike other people, decides that he's not going to compromise. Daniel basically says, look, I follow God. I trust in God. I live with integrity. I'm not going to compromise. He has these tests that he goes through, and every single time he does the right thing, and things work out, and God is with him. And so you have different kings. Daniel stays the same throughout this, but you have different kings. We're going to be on the fourth king today, but you have king number one, king number two, king number three. Now, some of the kings have things where they turn into cows for seven years. It's called boanthropy. Read about it. Um, not actually turned into a cow, but he, he goes insane. Um, another king is assassinated, yet Daniel just keeps doing the right thing. And as he's doing the right thing, people start to realize this guy is the man. He does the right thing. He's really cool about it. And so they start giving him more and more power and influence. They actually describe him 
as one of the chief of the magicians because he's able to interpret dreams. He's able to do all these really cool things. So the kings increasingly start to rely on Daniel. And even though he's a little different, he follows a different God than they do. They're like, okay, this guy, Daniel, I want him on my team. He's so cool. But then, like always happens, there's a group of people who don't love the fact that Daniel's this nice guy who worships a God and keeps amassing all this influence. And they say, you know what? We got to take Daniel out. No more Daniel. He is making it so that we can't have any of our fun. We got to get rid of Daniel. But the problem is that Daniel really doesn't do things wrong. He literally lives with integrity, tries to serve the people around him, prays fast, does all the right stuff. And so this group of people realize, okay, the only way we're going to take him out is if we make a technicality in the law so that his religion is used against him, and by him praying and him worshiping his God, that'll get him in trouble. So they do this. Now, Daniel is not only a really kind guy of integrity, he's really smart. He knows what's going on. He lets it go. He realizes, he says, you know, there's been four kings, um, and there's been different groups of people, they can just do what they need to do. You know, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to keep doing my part. I'm going to keep living with integrity. I'm going to keep trusting God. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep fasting. I'm going to keep following the commandments. And these people, whatever they do. So these people get the technicality written in the law that basically for 30 days, what you have to do is you can only worship the king. And the king gets tricked into this because theoretically, he likes this idea of, okay, yeah, I really only want people to respect me. I, I want people to kind of take a break from the other stuff. Anyhow, sure, just, just bow down to me for 30 days. And so now this gets written into law, and instead of Daniel now taking a 30-day break and just kind of going under the radar, he keeps doing what he does. It gets found out to the king, and Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. So that's where we find ourselves today. And so let's be simple. Daniel was like us. Now, we don't get thrown in a lion's den, but we go through moments where we just look at the stone, where we just look at the trial we're going through, and it seems permanent. And Daniel had enemies and tests. So here's kind of our first thought. Don't give too much power to enemies. And let's talk about enemies. Now, you might say, oh, David, in a Christian setting, it's not cool to use the word enemies. We don't have any enemies. Well, interestingly, we'll talk about that. Interestingly, Jesus used the word enemies a lot. Now, of course, Jesus said, don't treat your enemies like they're jerks. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But there are people, when we do the right thing, when we live with integrity, when we follow God, when we pray, there are people who are going to have a hard time with this. Also, I don't know about you. I'm not Daniel, and I'm not Jesus. I don't always do the right thing. And there's going to be enemies then, too. Sometimes I'm going to make a fool of myself and there's going to be enemies. Now, I try to humbly live the right way, as do we all, but we have to understand we can't give too much power to our enemies. And I learned about that pretty early on in my life. Now, I'm hesitant to use this story, but I think it's helpful. It, I work with teenagers. Bullying means something very different now than it did when I was growing up. But when I, when I grew up, I was a freshman in high school, and a kid decided that it would be a good idea to punch me in the throat. And so I, I wasn't able to talk for two weeks. Um, 
and that's, that's real bullying. Um, and so I wasn't able to talk for two weeks. I was taken to the emergency room, and the doctor said to my dad, like, hey, um, this could have made him suffocate. This wasn't good. So we all go through experiences in our lives where we realize enemies are real. People come after us. Was I doing all the right things? No. But still, I shouldn't have been punched in the throat. We have moments in our lives where people come after us. And the problem is that enemies appear to win in the short term. I'll tell you, 14-year-old freshman in high school, David, had two things he cared about. Number one, I cared about having a girlfriend. That year, I didn't have a girlfriend. But the story's not about that. Number two, I was a singer and wanted to sing the national anthem at the basketball game. I didn't get to do it because I lost my voice when I was punched in the throat. But that wasn't permanent. I can sing now. It felt permanent at the time. And the problem is we give too much power to enemies. We look at these moments and say, oh, it's permanent. It's the end. It's the worst. Let's look what happens in the text in verses 4 and 5. The high officials and the satraps, those are like the governors, sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in the connection with the law of his God. But even with that, Daniel kept st sticking to the plan. He continued to pray for three times a day as he had done previously. Now, here's a really important thing. Sometimes when enemies come against us, we decide we're going to stick it to them by being high and mighty and holier than thou, and we're going to take up a new thing and we're going to stick it to them and show them. That's not what Daniel did. Daniel did not start praying just because they made praying illegal. Daniel built on what he had already been doing. He was already living with integrity. So that is something really important. We don't want to pick up new things to be in your face about it. We want to live our lives with integrity because otherwise things are just hollow and it's, 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 it's hard. It really is. But let's not miss the parallels to Jesus' ministry here. There were always enemies trying to go after Jesus. There were always people trying to catch him, trying to test him, trying to show that he was a hypocrite, trying this and that and etc., Jesus was unwilling to compromise when faced with enemies. In fact, as I mentioned before, he emphasized the fact that we need to love our enemies. And so, this is where we turn it on me and on you and on all of us. If it's good enough for Jesus to face enemies with love and without compromise, please let's remember that when we face opposition in the following areas. In our families, in our circles of influence, in our friend groups, in our work, and my friends, let's be honest, on social media. Let's not give too much power to our enemies. Daniel did the right thing, but they still tried to have him killed. Still, we act surprised when we have enemies emerge in our lives. And so don't give too much power to our enemies. Don't just focus on that stone and say, oh, it is... It's permanent. There's nothing I can do. Because here's the second idea. Don't fear your test. Let's talk about tests for a moment. Because test, the, the tests and the trials and the challenges that we go through, these aren't a bad thing. 
they're an opportunity for us to grow. They're also an opportunity for us to pivot. And we'll look at the next slide here. So they're an opportunity for us to grow and pivot even though we don't always like them. Now, you may have heard that there is a football game today. You may have been expecting there to be illustrations about the football game throughout the sermon. There is not going to be. I'm sorry. But here is your one illustration, football-related, about dear Thomas Brady. Here it comes. Tests can look and feel like game over, and here's why. Tom Brady, as we know, was a six-round draft choice who everyone assumed that he was just going to get cut. He actually was the number four quarterback on the Patriots, a team that always carried three quarterbacks. The first test he had to get through was not getting cut. He didn't. Then he had another test. He was still way down on the depth chart. He had to get higher on the depth chart. There was a, another problem that seemed permanent. There was this superstar quarterback who had gotten his team to the Super Bowl. His name was Drew Bledsoe. He was the man. I remember growing up, and everyone thought, except for that one inc incident with the mosh pit, uh, crowd surfing, read about it, but other than that one moment, everyone thought Drew Bledsoe was the man. But here's the thing. That was a test. Tom Brady had to keep showing his love for football, keep doing the right thing, keep working harder than everybody else, and keep just following the path laid before him. Then, at the beginning of a season, Drew Bledsoe got hurt, and here's another test. Tom Brady had no experience, and he got put in a football game. That's a test right there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, today, he's playing in his 10th Super Bowl. So the point is, don't fear your tests. Like, yes, sometimes tests can be really scary and, and really hard and really difficult, but what's amazing about the tests that we go through, those times that we see the stone and it looks permanent, those give us an amazing chance to pivot. Think about our lives during the pandemic. I don't know about you, but I've really looked at this as an amazing opportunity to be a better husband and a better dad. I've used this time and I've said, wow, you know what, this is a trial and I'm going to spend a lot more time with my wife and with my daughter and a lot more time in prayer and reading the Bible. The test can make us stronger even though they feel like game over in the short term. Now, I want to look at a longer portion of the text, verses 7 through 10, and I'm going to, I'm going to read a little bit and break it down. So here's verses 7 to 10. This is going to show us don't fear those tests. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefix and the satraps, so all the, all the people in charge, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. Okay, so basically, all the people who realize that Daniel is serving his god, they don't like his religion, He's got a lot of power. He's doing the right thing. They basically say, okay, king, I know you like Daniel. However, however, let's be honest. You're the only one who really needs to be respected and praised. So we'd like to just set aside a 30-day period where everyone remembers that you're the guy we follow. And not, not any other gods, not any other gods of the Chaldeans or the Persians or the Medes or, 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 or the Israelites. Just you, O king. 30 days, let's do it. And if anyone breaks it, let's have them thrown to the lion's den because really, we all need to be following you, O king. Let's keep reading. 
Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So here's the little fun part. Also, king, um, we know you like Daniel and other people like him. So we would like you to do this in a way, because remember, we all need a 30-day refresh to just serve you. So let's just make sure that this can't be revoked, that you can't make special exceptions, and that it's just going to be held in permanence. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open towards Israel, Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he has done previously. So despite the fact that this happened, Daniel kept saying, you know what? I live a life of prayer. Yes, this is the test. This is scary. They want to throw me in the lion's den. However, I'm going to pray about it. And he kept doing that. Let's not miss the parallels here to Jesus. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness, fasting and praying and being tested. When Jesus faced tests, whether it was the 40 days being tempted, whether it was the betrayal and arrest, whether it was his crucifixion and burial, he wasn't afraid. He trusted God. If it's good enough for Jesus to go through tests without fear, let's remember that. Because we have tests we go through. We have moments where we look at that and the stone seems really permanent. It seems like, wow, I don't have superhuman strength. I can't fix this problem. I've got to go through it. There's nothing I can do to push this stone away. That can look like disease. That can look like a major illness. That can look like a major, horrible, awful, unexpected loss in your family. That can look like loss of a job. Looks all different ways. And those are tests. It's not that these are good moments, but it's that these moments allow us to really trust God, to really see how we can rely on him and move forward. And so let's talk about that stone for a second. Daniel lived with integrity, but he was still thrown in a lion's den with that big permanent-looking stone. Jesus lived a perfect life, but he was still beaten. He was still killed. He was still buried in a tomb Oh, look at this. Here's an interesting parallel. Fascinating on this. With a big stone in front of it, just like the stone in front of the lion's den. Still, we act surprised when we go through life facing tests where we have a big stone and it feels like it can't be moved. Now, here's another silly example from my childhood. We all, those of us who love drama, are all excited when we grow up for our senior play. I don't know why that is. Let's be honest, I had a lead as a sophomore. So if I was looking back on my time as a theater kid, it probably peaked sophomore year. But regardless, for whatever reason, we all put this big emphasis on, oh, I'm so excited for my senior play. It's going to be so terrific, so wonderful. Well, I was super excited too until I got cast in the chorus and was super mad and didn't get a part didn't get a lead, didn't even get a supporting role, was super mad, wanted to quit. And I say to my parents, oh, this is ridiculous. I've had leads before. This is stupid. I'm quitting. And they say, no, why don't you just wait it out? The experience of being in the chorus will be good for you. No, I've been in choruses my entire time growing up. This is ridiculous. I'm quitting. Well, they talked me into not quitting. And what I found is that just magically, just so interesting, 
the person who had the part that I wanted magically quit a week later. And suddenly I found myself in a nice role and I enjoyed the fact that, okay, it's my senior play and it's one of my great memories of high school. But if I had just, and now I, I know that it's not always gonna work out like that. There are times where we just have to have the, the chorus role in a play. There are, we, there are times we have to do that. But for me, if I had quit, I never, I never would have passed the test. I never would have had that opportunity to grow as a person and to trust on God and wait. And that's a silly example, but it applies for each of us. If we just give up when we face the test, we don't have the opportunity for God to see us through. Because here is our final idea. No stone is a match for God. Let's talk about what that really means. There was a, a, a wonderful Christian man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor. He was a theologian. He was really great. Before just like having any of my writers here, there's, a, there's an idea of getting into like the flow zone. Before that was a thing with YouTube videos and all sorts of stuff, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would just set aside time each day to write. And he just amassed this huge collection of writings, really wonderful stuff. Problem, it was kind of obscure. In fact, throughout his life, he wrote all this stuff. It was amazing. It was wonderful. No one read it. It really deep stuff, cost of discipleship, costly grace. How cool, how exciting, no one read it. And he dies in obscurity. And then a friend of his who had written some letters back and forth with Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he was in a concentration camp. When that happened, he, he published those letters, and it really took off, and people really got excited about it. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer had died. He, he wrote really amazing things about the nature of God and discipleship and all sorts of things that are really have been wonderful and helpful, but he died. Sometimes we look at death and say that's the end, and we just say, well, okay, he lost. That didn't work out. But the reality is, is that whether we live, whether we die, no stone is a match for God. God was able to take the writings and the life work of Legacy and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and even through his death, it had way more of an impact than it ever could if he had just simply survived the war and been one of these people writing from a university. Some people would have read it, but this situation was taken and reclaimed by God and really made to be something that's really impacted people. I think of Stephen. Stephen is, was one of the great heroes of the beginning of the church. He was this man who he was set out, he was set out as a deacon to serve the poor to help, and he really just talks triumphantly and victoriously about Jesus, about the importance of faith, and people don't like it. He's doing the right things, and you know what they do to Stephen? They stone him to death. He dies. But that's not game over. Because Stephen's witness, Stephen's life, really makes it so that that is one of the amazing exploding off points for the early church. Because they say, wow, if Stephen is willing to just live for Jesus and not worry about it, so can we too. And that really just started this whole movement. And it was one of the main things that really started the explosion of Christianity. Because here's the good news. In the battle of the good and evil, remember how we talked about battle of good and evil? In the battle of good and evil, not only is no stone a match for God, not only is that moment that we look at and we say, oh, that's permanent, there's nothing I can do. In addition to that, God always wins. Every time. 
We'll look in the text, really short one this time. Verse 21. Daniel said to the king, now this is after the stones rolled away, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. God prevailed, and King Darius learned that a large stone in front of a lion's den is no match for God. Think of Jesus. Jesus conquered death and sin, and the stone was rolled away. Stephen died, but he left a heritage. And so, as we conclude, and so I want us to really think about this. You know, so often we look at this moment in our lives that seems so permanent. It's that stone. It's like the stone in front of the lion's den. It's the stone in front of the tomb. It's the stone that, that kills Stephen. We look at that and we say, wow, that's a permanent moment. There's nothing I can do. That's the end of the game. But I want to tell you about the person I'm named after. David Stanley Mallory was a lumberjack in the Canadian woods. And he was a very hard-drinking, hard-gambling guy, and he just really lived just kind of this hard life. Until one day, he gave his life to Jesus and decided to turn away from the things he had been doing. He got involved in a church, and he became a man who lived a wonderful Christian life, really looked after people around him. And the thing we remember him for specifically is the fact that he had a friend with tuberculosis, and this friend... No one would take care of him. David Stanley Mallory did. And he gave him a much better end to his life, dignity. And it was just, it still was awful and tragic, but at least he had his friend David Stanley Mallory until David Stanley Mallory then, after his friend passed, he too contracted tuberculosis and died from it as well. And again, that looks like, if we look at it, this is a stone, that looks like the end. That looks like, okay, the situation has permanence, he lost. We know that no stone is a match for God. Sometimes a stone is rolled away and we're healed. Sometimes we're going through just this awful disease, illness, and, and there's this miraculous healing, and that's wonderful. Sometimes a stone is rolled away and relationships are restored. The reconciliation is brought in, and, and what people who were previously just totally separate and, and totally wouldn't speak to each other. This amazing reconciliation has happened. That's wonderful. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes the stone is rolled away, and this is like with Stephen, we go to heaven. And sometimes the stone is rolled away and a heritage of faith is created. Because regardless of what happens when the stone is rolled away, good triumphs over evil. God wins. And so as we go through these moments in our lives today where we're looking at that stone, and maybe it's a recent unemployment, maybe it's a loss of a relationship, maybe it's a tragic event you're going through, that situation that looks so permanent, yes, I, I can run up to there in the, in the lion's den and try to move the stone, and I'm not going to be able to. But no stone is immovable for God. No stone is going to be the end of the story. We can let it be. But what we're invited to do today is to remember the lesson of Daniel, to live with integrity and understand, yes, we're going to have enemies. Yes, we're going to have tests. But ultimately, those tests, those enemies, that stone that seems so permanent, that seems like it cannot be removed, what God's going to do with it is going to be amazing. It may not result in the stone 
being rolled away and us coming out of the lion's den, like Daniel, it may. But ultimately, if we trust God, we know good things are going to happen. And let's pray. Father, we ask that today you would remind us that in all parts of our lives, you are victorious. We simply have to, lead. We simply have to follow you. We simply have to see that you're leading. God, today we ask that you would not give us hard hearts, but that we would see that when we have times of enemies and tests and trials, that we could simply turn to you and follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.